If you have moxie, it means you've got some determination. It means you've got some guts. It means you've got grit. It means that if there's something standing in front of you and there's something on the other side that you want to get to, you're knocking over whatever is on the other side of that. However, we're not just looking at moxie. We're looking at Christian moxie, which means this. Yes, all of those things are true about you. You've got determination. You've got grit and you've got guts. You've got courage. Yet, at the same time, You have a peace that passes all understanding. You have a contentment about you. And you have a joy that can never be stolen from you no matter what your situation is. And that's what it means to have Christian moxie. And we're coming, to, we're coming close to the end of the series. And I know that you guys are going to be sad about this because I keep hearing how meaningful this series has been to you. And here's why I think it's so meaningful. Because it seems to me that based off of just our personalities, the way we're born, and our situations, environments that we're in, we kind of hit this cap of how much joy we can experience. We hit this cap of how much peace we can have and contentment we can have. And we hit this cap of how determined and courageous we can become. And then here's what happens. We hit this cap and we're kind of stuck, like you peaked in high school. But then something happens where Christ takes hold of you, and all of a sudden, that peak that you hit, you bust through that because you have now someone who has changed everything for you, and you're going to him as the source of your courage, going to him as the source of your joy and your peace and your contentment, and that changes everything. So that's why moxie has been so important to you. I think that's why. So today, what we're going to do, because it's, it's Christ taking hold of you, And you kind of level up. But today what we're going to do is we're going to see how when Christ takes hold of you, it changes the way that you think. And it changes your practices or your disciplines that you have in your life or your rhythms that you have or the things that you're doing. So, Philippians 4, only verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The Bible, and Paul here, is more concerned not with about what you should think, but how you should think. And that's key to understanding about God. God is giving us a set of values to live by and then saying, now take those values and think how you should live. So here's what Paul's doing right here. He says, you see all these lines about what's lovely, what's good, what's pure, what's holy, whatever, all this stuff he's saying. What he's getting down to is saying, think about the things that are good. Think about what is good and live into the things that are good. Now, Here's what's fascinating about this line that Paul gives. Nowhere else in Paul's writing does he use words like this. What he's doing is he's borrowing words from Greek morality. He's borrowing words from the place where he, this church has been started in Philippi. He's borrowing these words. Here's what he's doing. He's saying, take whatever is in the culture that you are in, whatever culture you're in, look at the things in the culture and discern what is good in that culture. He's saying, use wisdom about what is good in that culture. But you've got to think, he's saying. And you've got to be able to spot what is good and what is not good. 
And what he gets to is this. There is good things in the world because we're all made in the image of God, all of humanity. And so here's what that means. We know what is good. Like, we could pretty much, if, if someone says there's an old lady who needs to cross the street, pretty much all the world would say we should help her cross the street. But what we do is we begin to bend what is good, and we begin to twist it a little bit. So sometimes we twist it by our desires, and you see a $100 bill across the street, and you knock the old lady over trying to get to that $100 bill because that money has taken a priority over this woman who you should be helping. Now, you know that it's not right, but you can't help it. And the other things we do is we know what's good, but the good that we see kind of gets twisted a little bit, and we mess up something. We twist it, something good, but we twist it into something that is not fully what it's like in God's kingdom. It's like we're being tricked, and the world is tricking us, and we're tricking things. So you have to see what is right and what is wrong. Listen, what is right and what is wrong in the specific culture that you're in. So what are things in our culture that are good, and what are things that are not good? All right, good. And then watch the twist. So good. Self-help. This is like self-help movement. She, see, did you hear? The, the, the baby was crying because she knew self-help is not the fix-all. Now, now look. Self-help. It's a good thing. You should want to grow. You should, grow, you should pour as much as you, find as much wisdom in you, as you can in the culture that you are in. But you've also got to ask, you've got to challenge it too. So here's the problem with the self-help movement is that you are the source of your growth. And it's all up to you. And to some degree, that's true. If you need wisdom, you need to think about what is wise in the world around you. However, here's where it falls far, far short. Self-help is much different than Christianity because Christianity says Christ is your help. Christ is your only source of growth. It's not self-centered growth. It's the sufficiency of Christ is enough for you, and so you go to him and not yourself for growth. So there's a place where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. What he's saying, I mean, he's making a tremendous claim, and what, what he says is you, cannot, you can't do any good without me. That's an offensive claim, but he's making it. And here's what he's saying. To get to the real stuff, to get to the real, like, goodness and to pull it out of you, you've got to go to the root system. You've got to go to Christ because he's your only source of growth in your life. It's a tremendous claim. Now, so, so what you do is you say, okay, I can learn what I can learn from the self-help section in the bookstore. However, ultimately, I have to find my growth in Christ. So you have that. And, and also, have you noticed that there's no other's help section in the bookstore? And you're like, what's a bookstore? I just buy my books on Amazon. Okay, fine. But you know what I mean. So there's no other... Now here's... I'm going to tell you the genius of AA. AA's last step is if you're going to be... If you're going to recover, you have to ultimately help someone else recover as well. And here... And, and by the way, that's, that's right from the Bible. It's about others and helping them. And... What happens here a lot of the times, not here but in the church, is somebody's going through something and they show up at the church and like, ah, I'm here, I'm at the church, I need help. And so maybe they're depressed and their depression over like three-month period is gone. And they're like, okay, I don't need the church anymore. And they're just kind of out. And I'm like, well, what, what happened? 
And what, what's going to happen is three months later, they're going to be back because they're depressed. And here's what happens. What should have happened is they should have said, ah, let me help somebody else who's depressed. Let me help somebody else who's in need, who has had the same thing that I'm going through. I've gone through it. Now let me help them. And what happens is, here's what happens. Like, think about Christianity. So someone doubts something. You're helping someone come to faith. And so you work with them through their doubts, and then guess what happens with you later? You have all these doubts that start creeping up, but you've already learned to work through them, and now you know how to deal with them. That's why I leave our skeptics-only Bible study with more faith, not less, because I'm working through things that also give me doubt. And it's the same thing with helping somebody grow. So you're there for them, and you're helping them grow, and then here's what happens in your life. You're growing, and you're growing, and then, bam, you're not growing anymore. And you don't know what to do. But had you helped someone else grow and walked alongside of them, then when, you, when it was time for you to, like, you're stuck, you would know what to do because you've already helped someone through it. And you also know to ask for help from someone else because you're stuck. All right. This line that says what, about what is lovely. This is about something that's beautiful. So, so you can take a symphony. Uh, you, you could take, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in fusion jazz right now. It's like a combination of jazz and rock. And uh, it's blowing my mind. Take that and find what's beautiful in that, in the culture that you're in. Also, at the same time, this word is talking about Mother Teresa. Like, I mean, the Bible's not talking about Mother Teresa, but it's saying what she's doing is beautiful. It's lovely. The same way a symphony is lovely or fusion jazz is lovely. Now, now here's, the one I'm, here's the point here. We have a tendency in the church to vilify anything that is not blatantly outright Christian. And so then we don't want to listen to anything that's outside of this uh, worship song that we need to lift our hands up to. But here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, get into the culture and think about what is good. Listen to the music and think, is this good? Is this not good? Because guess what, guys? We, we are, if you're a Christian, your citizenship is in heaven, but you are still in this world. So you're in the world, but you're not of the world. And if you're going to make a difference in this world, you have to understand this world, which means you have to look into it and discern what is right about this world and what's right about the culture that you're in. If you want to make a difference, I'm telling you, you've got to do that. You, you know, the monks, the monks had it right in that they spent a whole lot of time with God. They had it wrong in that they were ignoring the world around them. They did some nice stuff for people, but there were people who needed to come to faith, and that was not what they were going to do. They were not concerned with, they were detaching themselves. And what I think Paul thrusts us into is to go into the world, to be there for people, and to help them. I've been listening to a lot of leadership podcasts lately and entrepreneurial podcasts. And some would say, what are you doing? Why are you listening to that? You should just be reading the Bible and you should find all of your wisdom from the Bible. But, but hold on, I say. <laughs> if these people are devoting their lives to what is wise in leadership, they're devoting their lives to it, then wouldn't it be wise for me to learn from what they have learned? And then I can take a, take a step back and discern what is right about what they're saying. See, the Bible just keep, keeps trying to get you to think. It's not as concerned about what you're thinking, but teaching you how to think. Eric Hervé sent me a, a TED Talk on grit. I don't know if you guys know what grit is, but grit is part of moxie. 
So if you have grit, it means that, it means this, there can be someone more talented than you, there can be someone that's much smarter than you, but you're going to be more successful because you have a determination to be successful, and you just are. And so in this talk, the lady's talking about how we don't know where grit, grit comes from, and we don't know how to get people to get more grit. But if you've been listening in our series, Moxie, Paul's telling us all the ways to get grit. He's saying grit is a very spiritual thing. Grit is about going to God and discovering something from God, and he's giving you this joy. But also, there's this determination that you get. There's this passion you get for God and for his glory, and so that you want to push through whatever's in front of you to get past so that God gets the glory. Now, that sounds, maybe that sounds weird to you, but once you see the glory of God, you, you want people to know about this, and you're willing to do whatever it takes to make that happen right there. But I, I had to think about that. So I listened to what she said. I took it all in, very inspiring. And then I said, hold on, let me think. I can just go spend some time with Jesus right now, and I can get grittier. And so that's what I did. All right, let's keep thinking. We live in one of the most individualistic societies there's ever been, by far. But part of it, it's a good thing. So Christianity is the cause of this, actually. Because in Christianity, the, the dignity of the individual is elevated. However, we've lost sight of the way the Bible talks about community and the importance of togetherness. And so we've elevated one good, but we've decreased the other. And so that means now, that's why we have so much loneliness in our culture today, especially in Port St. Lucie. We are lonely, lonely people. Because we have lifted the individual without lifting the community. And so we wonder why everybody's lonely. We wonder why there's so much depression. It's because we feel alone in what we're doing. Let's take comfort. Comfort is very important in the Bible. Comfort is good. In our area, we chase comfort like it is our God. And we do whatever we can to get it. But if you think, you have to realize something. Christianity is claiming that God is our comfort, which means no matter what the situation is, if I have God, I can experience comfort in Him. And so we have to stop trying to make ourselves comfortable by all this materialistic things that we're trying to get to, or this bank account that we get bloated, so then we can think we're going to get comfortable because we're not. Comfort is found in Him no matter what your situation is. Sex. Sex is a good thing in the Bible. But it's not meant to be the ultimate thing. And so what, what happens today is we take a good thing and we turn it into an ultimate thing and now we start finding our identity in our sexuality. And when you do that, you're going to experience shame in your life. You're going to experience all these things that are just crumbling apart because you're finding your identity in the wrong thing. You're meant to find your identity in God. Politics. I'm just talking about everything I'm not supposed to. Okay, politics. So here's what, here's what ha we have to think. We have to look at what's before us, and we have to think. Okay, so let's think. We're divided, and here's how it usually goes. 
The left side says this, the right side says this, no one listens to each other, and everybody's fighting with each other. And, nobody's li- and here's the problem. Neither side is willing to see the good in what that side is fighting for. Some of you are so mad that I said that. But, uh, but okay, let's think about it. So, the left is for the oppressed, the underdog. The right is for morality. Let's just do that. You can argue with me all you want. Just get my point. Those are both good things. And we're never going to understand each other until we can articulate what that person is saying, what that person believes, articulate it back to them just as well as they are saying it so they feel understood, and then we can say to them, hey, let's think about this. So the Bible's trying to get you to think. The Bible's trying to get you to sit across the table from someone and have coffee with them and talk to them about what you believe and think through it together. Not vilifying the other side because that's what's going to happen. And all you're going to do is to start throwing bombs at people to vilify the other side. If I could do one thing, like if, I, if, if there was one way that I could like see Christianity enter into politics, it would be in that way. And I think it would change everything about the way we talk to each other, politically. But, you know, the news channels aren't hearing this sermon, so. And I would actually say so much of the world's problems today is because, so much of the world's problems with Christianity today is because we aren't actually thinking through the values of Christianity and applying those values to our lives and the way we're interacting with people with love and grace and patience. You have to be patient with people. Like, people are annoying. And if you're not patient with them, you're not going to have any friends and you're not going to be successful in life. Patience is so, so very important. But where do you get the patience? Well, you just have to see how God has been so patient with you. And until you see that, you're not going to be patient. When you see someone just shower you with patience, you're very, much, you're very quick to now do the same thing. But when you see God do it, it changes you to the core. The Bible is more concerned with teaching you not what to think, but how to think. Okay, now that we're thinking, Paul starts talking about our practices He starts talking about the rhythms that we have in our life. He starts talking about disciplines that we have. Now, here's what's going on in this line. He's saying, in the second, verse 9, he's saying, his actions, so he's saying, watch me. Do the things that I'm doing. Learn from me. Like, watch everything I'm doing and do what I am doing. Imitate me. Now, here, he's talking about two things. First, he's talking about the way he lives, like, his actions, his right actions, and he's also talking about, second, his disciplines or his practices. So, in his actions, this is about morality. This is about right living. The second thing he's talking about is creating space for you to experience God. These are practices. So, you do things in your life to create space so that you might experience God, and then he might teach you how to live. And so, what he's trying to do to this, to this Philippian church is he's trying, here are the actions he's trying to get them to do. He's trying to get them to have more peace, to have joy, to have contentment, to be determined, to be courageous for the glory of God. He's trying to get people to say, oh, this person does not understand what Christianity is, so I'm devoting my life for them to understand this. Like, he's trying to get us to be courageous in those things. 
But he says, in order for you to do that, in order for you to have this moxie, you got to get in the presence of God because the presence of God changes you. The presence of God is your source of growth. So you need practices in your life that brings you into the presence of the glory of God. In 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, uh, these chapters, essentially what it boils down to is they're saying this. Behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and you will be changed forever. What you got to see is glory. You got to see the beauty of who he is. You got to see the, the absolute magnitude that there is no one and nothing else like him. And then when you get the picture of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, crucified on the cross, risen from the grave, you get that story down. When you get a picture of that and you think on that, you're seeing the glory of God. And as that happens, you are changed because we're like living, breathing mirrors. And whatever is in front of a mirror is what defines that mirror. And so what you're doing is you're looking for something glorious enough to capture your attention. And you're looking and you're looking and you find whatever you find that's most glorious, you become like that thing because you're a mirror. And so if you settle for anything less than God, then you're going to become like that thing. And so what Paul's trying to get us to do is to go to the glory of God so we can be transformed to be more like him. See, Paul's trying to get us to be like Christ. He's trying to get himself to be like Christ. And the way to do that is to go to Christ and see his glory. That's it. We're mirrors. Go to him. He's changing us. And then verse 9 says, the peace of God will be with you. So you practice these practices. You do these disciplines in such a way that you get to come into the presence of God. And then as you come into the presence of God, He changes you and you start living more of the way you're meant to live. And then... As you live more the way you're meant to live, you're like, oh, this does make sense now. And then you're like, I want more of this. And so you go back to God for more, and you experience more of his glory, and then he's changing you more, and now you're changing the way you're living even more. And this keeps happening, and guess what happens? The wheel spins faster and faster and faster and faster and faster, and then the next thing you know, you're someone crazy moxie. Because you had these disciplines or these practices or these rhythms, rhythm sounds just a lot uh, more appealing than disciplines, but I think we should say disciplines, not rhythms. And some of you, you've been wondering why you haven't been growing. You've been wondering why you're lacking joy. You've been wondering why you have no peace in your life, why you're anxious, why you're not a very courageous person. And the answer here is saying you're not spending enough time with God. You got to have consistent rhythms in your life. Consistency is key to get the wheel spinning. You know, we're obsessed with quick growth. I'm telling you right now, I see it all the time. Someone like it's goes diving into Christianity and they're experiencing quick growth and I'm telling you, they're super passionate. I'm telling you at some point they're going to fall. Something's going to happen because growth happens slow. Have you ever watched a tree grow? Super boring. But if you take a picture of that tree and then take another picture a year later, you can see the growth that happened. You can see this in nature. Growth happens, it takes a long time. If you want to go to the gym and you think in a week you're going to become everything you want to become from the gym in a week, you're going to be upset. It's not going to happen. It takes a long time. Consistency. 
All right, here's, here's some consistent disciplines. You know, if you want to experience the glory of God, what do you do? Make Sunday morning non-negotiable. Even if you're out of town, just find another church to go to. If they say weird stuff, I'm sorry, that's not my fault. But go, make it like this is a non-negotiable. And you know what? When you, do, when, when you make Sunday non-negotiable, don't just make it about coming to church on Sunday morning. Make it about a day of rest. Because some of you are exhausted. You're mentally exhausted. You're emotionally exhausted. You're physically exhausted. And you, need, you just need a day of rest. Because when you're exhausted in all those ways, when I'm physically, emotionally, mentally exhausted, I'm far more likely to sin. I'm not thinking clearly. And so you need a day of rest. And you're like, well, man, I, I don't have the... And what you really need to do is you need to work really hard throughout the week so you've got enough done so that you can rest on Sunday. And you're like, David, you have no idea. I'm so exhausted. How am I supposed to work that hard throughout the week? You just, fine, take a day of rest now no matter what. You know, probably some of you need like a week. Maybe more than that. And if you don't take it, you're going to crash. This is a spiritual discipline. Like, it's called the Sabbath, a day of rest. You need a community of people too. So not just coming here on Sunday, but you need a group of people that you're with. We have discipleship groups. That's what this is all about. People who are with you, helping you grow, and you are helping them grow. And I'm telling you, you're praying together, you're talking about life together, and you're dealing with stuff together. And when you have that togetherness, you're changed. But it's consistently doing it. Not just a one-time thing. Over and over and over again. And many of you guys, I mean everybody, loves the idea of having moxie. We want to have peace, we want to have joy, we want to have contentment, we want to be courageous people with some grit, but we're not willing to do what it takes to get it. Slow growth. Consistently doing the same thing every single day. Waking up in the morning, spending time with God in your Bible and in prayer. Before you go to bed, spending time with God. Bible, prayer. Being with people, talking about this, coming on Sunday morning. And some of you are mad that you aren't growing, and you're seeing people who have been Christians for 10 years, and you've been a Christian for a year, and you're like, why am I not this mature? Because you've been at it for a year. Just cut yourself a break a little bit and just go spend some time with God and chill out about it. Like, you don't need to compete with other Christians about who's more mature or less mature. That sounds like, uh, that sounds dumb. That sounds like a, that sounds like a way that's going to lead you down a horrible path. And you know why you're doing that? You know why you're competing with other Christians? Because you're trying to work for your glory and you're not seeing the glory of God. All right. So we're talking about thinking and we're talking about practices. Now, what about other religions? Well, let's think. Are other religions good? Well, I think probably you can learn stuff from other religions. There's wisdom in other religions. You can probably grow practically from other religions. However, you will fall into the same problem that the self-help philosophy runs you into. Because every other religion makes it up to you. 
Every other religion makes your growth up to you. Everyone, every other religion makes eternity up to you, salvation up to you. And here's what other religions will say. God's up here, we're down here, and we've got to follow this list of, list of rules, these strategies, this path to get up to God. And Christianity says, no way. That doesn't work. You are too imperfect to get to the perfect God, and so you need a way for God to come to you. This is completely different, but you've got to think. So here's what I'm saying. If you're the type of person you want to just know what every religion is saying about every single thing, that's great. Go and do that. I liked doing that. However, make sure you're thinking and you're seeing the differences between Christianity and every other religion because every other religion is offering you something very different than Christianity. Christianity is offering something very unique. It's not offering you a strategy. It's not offering you a path. It's offering you a person. And he's a person who is God who's come into the world. And no other religion is going to offer you a God who will fight for you, who will die for you, who will pursue you even as you're running from him. Like, that's what Christianity is. We have a God who's ripped open the heavens, and you are running like crazy from him, and he is determined to get you. And he's chasing you down like a lion, and he grabs you, and you're in his claws, and you're like trying to get out, and he's like, no, no, I'm not going to let you go. And then he puts you down and he says, watch. And he climbs up upon the cross. And that cross was meant to be your home. That cross was meant to be yours. And he climbs up that cross and he makes it his own. And on the cross, all of your sins, that lion of God takes it upon himself. And when he does, he is crushed under the weight of our sin. It actually says in the Bible that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. What's that? What's the righteousness mean? It means we're good with him. We're good. Like everything is good with him. Everything is right with him. It's talking about peace, knowing that you can come into the presence of God because here's the problem. No other religion brings you to God because we can't get to him. Our imperfection steals us away from him because the perfection it requires to get to the perfect God is beyond us. And so he comes for you. And he does everything that is needed to get done to get you to him. And once you get to him, you see the glory of God and you worship him and you're changed. And you see that he's risen up out of the grave so that death could not hold you. And by death not holding you now, you get to walk into the presence of God, even now. Not something far off, even now. Even now. And he's coming for you, and he's still coming for you. So stop fighting him, and just let yourself be his. Father, we pray right now that all the bits inside of us and all the parts of us that want to run from you, God, I pray that you would see those and you would chase us down and you would tackle us to the ground. And that as we're wrestling with you, like Jacob wrestled with you, God, I pray that in the midst of the wrestling, in the end where you promised this great promise, that we would experience that in the midst of our wrestling with you, God. 
God, I pray that when we want joy, we would go to you. When we want peace, we would go to you. When we want contentment, we would go to you. When we want courage, that we would go to you, God. God, steal us away from this idea of self-sufficiency where it's up to us and let us see that this is all about Christ's sufficiency and what he's done for us on the cross and the resurrection and this promise of a new world that is to come. And let us just go all in in trusting you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.